Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favorite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalized bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from the Google Play and Apple App Store, over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm afraid there's no Joe again, um, so I'm, I'm sorry about that. But you do get Alex and I once more sounding indistinguishable from one another. And today we were talking FPL uh, and we were joined by Mark McGattigan, who's better known as FPL General on Twitter. Mark is one of the leading fantasy football players in the country. He actually does it full time. Uh, and he's come on the pod to tell us a little, about, a little bit about what that entails and the processes that he goes through and, and how he earns his living. Um, and he also gives us a few tips. Uh, he gives Alex more than a few tips right at the end about uh, his fancy Premier League selection. Um, firstly, though, let's talk about The Athletic. Um, Alex, I've been uh, I've been reading Dermot Corrigan's coverage of the Leo Messi situation. It's day by day. Uh, it's evolving pretty quickly and it's getting more frenetic with each passing day. What else have you been enjoying on The Athletic at the moment? I'm going to actually plug something I've done, um, which is a piece on five WSL players that you should watch next season, uh, which was really interesting because obviously the WSL has been incredibly active uh, in terms of transfers and loan signings with some really, really big names coming in. People like Peniel Harder and uh, Rose Lavelle, Sam Mewis. So I've had a look at some of the other players who were already there last season who might be making a big impact coming up, uh, including one of my favourites, who is Leah Williamson. Uh, so that's that's something that I would like you to look out for. Now, if someone did want to go and find that and they wanted to get a whopping big discount on their way to doing so, where might they go for that? They would go to theathletic.com forward slash TIFO transfers. Yes. They would indeed, and that's uh, that's forty percent off. Also, um, this season we've got a, a TIFO Football FPL league, and we've got a little code if you want to sign up um, and uh, take on Alex and me. We'll try and get Joe involved, try and get Craig involved, one of the designers. Craig doesn't have a smartphone though, so we don't. That that might be uh, pushing it, pushing the uh, pushing our luck a little bit. But give it a go. So uh, to sign up, just enter the code HU2Z6P. Um, and come join our league ahead of Saturday's kickoff. Okay, right, on to Mark. Mark, welcome to the, the T5 Football Podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you on. So we've talked before. So full disclosure, if you if you get bored by any of my questions or if the, um, the listeners hear you sounding a little bit bored, the fault for that is entirely mine because um, we did this over a Zoom call about you know, a couple of weeks ago, right? I found out all kinds of things about um, fancy Premier League that I didn't know before. But we're going to do it again because it was, it was fascinating. This is a, a kind of natural starting point. Um, you do this full time and... To people like me, can you explain what that entails? How you spend your weeks as a result? Yeah, so I've been I've been doing it uh, full time now for for about two years. Um, so I think we talked before about what, what does a week a normal week look like for me. A lot of people ask me that question. 
and it's you know my, my wife's a primary school teacher so i try and work around her so i try and do a you know a nine to five or a nine to four um you know my, the start of my week is usually catching up with games from the weekend so i try to switch off at the weekends so i'll record the games i'll watch them at the beginning of the week and then i'll go looking into all the numbers um, and record my podcast on a tuesday try to take a day off on a wednesday as much as possible i usually fail in that uh, <laughs> in that goal and then the, the later part of the week is is kind of getting ready for the weekend then so it's, it's writing a few articles uh you know interacting then with my subscribers and and, and most importantly, deciding what I'm going to do with my own team for, for the upcoming game week. When you say interact with your subscribers, what does that typically involve? What kind of what kind of process is that? Yes, yeah, so for me, it's all about trying to... My, my goal is to try and you know help people to become better FPL managers, to make better FPL decisions for themselves. I'll, I'll often get people who will come to me and they expect me to, to spoon feed them, you know, pick player X, pick player Y. But we always have a conversation then and I explain that that's not what it's about. It's about you learning from my experience and you know becoming a very good manager in your own right. So it's it's you know, I do a lot of interaction through we have a Slack channel which has a big group of, of subscribers, but then there's more focused one to one that we do on WhatsApp and it's you know, it's you'll get a lot of people who are very new to fantasy. You know, maybe they're in their first year or their second year and it does take quite a while to get your head around everything. So it's just kind of guiding them along the path and, and trying to help them avoid the pitfalls. And yeah, essentially, just, I guess, I'm more of a mentor, coach kind of than someone who's going to make decisions for you. So if I was one of your, your subscribers, I'm not coming to you for, right, you know, Captain Sadio Mane or drop Kevin De Bruyne. You're, presumably, you're trying to coach me and teach me how to make those decisions and how to to be informed about those decisions for myself, presumably. Exactly. It's kind of trying to guide you along the path. I think what's very important as well when it comes to, to FPL, there's lots of different kinds of FPL managers and it will take you probably a good two seasons to figure out what kind of manager you are. And that will dictate how you play the game. You know, Do you make early transfers? Do you make late transfers? Do you, you know, go for more differentials and stuff like that? So it's trying to feel it out for a season or two with people and then you know they've got to decide what kind of manager they want to be, and that will kind of dictate their strategy then for for the coming seasons. So, Mark, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the the Tifo Sensible Transfers series, um, but it's something that that we produce and I I write. So I spend a lot of time doing things that sound not dissimilar to what you do, um, watching lots of football and looking at lots of numbers. And I use those to try and work out who would be sensible signings for teams based on the style of that team's play, but also on on which players look like they might be better uh, than the level they're playing at. How well does that approach transition across to being a fantasy Premier League manager? And how much is there a kind of an individual skill that comes with just the format of the game? Um so understanding that rather than simply understanding data and football. Yeah, I've listened to a few of those. They've been really good. That's a big thing for me as well. A lot of people listen to fantasy Premier League podcasts, but I often find that listening to more kind of general football podcasts can be really helpful for people as well. So I do, you know, advise people to check those out before the season starts as well. It's all, I think what it all comes down to is, you know, we're all kind of working in the same industry, but when it comes down to it, we're, we're watching games, we're analysing players, we're looking at numbers, so there's always a big, you know, you can link all together, and um, and I just think if you're if you're someone who is, you know, watching a lot of games like we are, if you're looking at lots of stats and numbers as well, you know, that can translate 
very nicely across to being a very good fantasy manager. You're basically just putting all the knowledge that you've picked up, you know, during your during your job, and you're kind of applying it then to your decisions from week to week. But yeah, it's it's very important, I think, to you know you have to understand how the game works as well, and, and that does take a while. You know, simply, especially for new managers, the first thing I always say before doing anything else, go and read the rules because so many people don't because it's quite bulky and there's little things you'll pick up that maybe you didn't realise. And then it's just, it, like I say, it does take a good probably season or two to fully grasp the concept of how the game works, you know, price changes, all that kind of stuff, point sets. So yeah, it, it, it definitely does take time. It's going to be quite embarrassing then when my when my team is terrible <laughs> based on what you've just said. So what, what do you derive from watching games rather than just purely going through the numbers because obviously the FPL is a, a points-based game predicated on on certain metrics obviously things like goals assists clean sheets and so on so what are you looking for when you're actually watching football rather than just looking at numbers yeah so when it comes to FPL as well you'll you'll tend to find you'll have probably there's probably two camps there's probably a camp of people who spend more time watching games and make their decisions based on the eye test. On the flip side, you'll have people who rely a lot more on the numbers. Uh, and there's, again, people can play the game completely differently. I think we had someone who won FPL you know, four or five years ago who, who only watched two or three games over the course of the season and relied on the numbers because he was he was just busy with work. When, when, I, when I'm sitting down to watch a game, so I watch all the live games that are on TV in the UK, so probably about five a week. Like I say, I do record some of them and then watch them maybe on Monday or Tuesday. When I'm sitting down to watch a game, I'm not really watching it. I'm, I'm studying it. I've, I've got a pair of fantasy glasses on. you know, So I'm watching a game very differently to what your everyday fan will or, or people who are just working in different areas of, of football as well. So I'm looking for little things that maybe won't show up in the numbers. Um, you know, Let's say, let's say a, a right back swings a crossing and the striker you know, heads it into the back of the net. But let's say there was a, another player behind him who you know possibly would have got on the end of that cross if the striker had a missed it. You know that won't show up in the stats. Things like corners are, are quite important for me when it comes to the eye test as well. You know you can by watching the game you can see which you know centre halves are spending their time blocking off to make space for others. Whereas you'll you'll find then you know which players are actually attacking the ball. So those are the guys you want in fantasy, the guys who are who are actually going to get goal attempts rather than you know creating space for others. So it's all those little things that um, you know the numbers will tell you so much, but there's definitely something to be had for watching a game as well. And then I just marry it all together. You know I'll watch a game first, and I will go to the numbers as well, basically to back up what I've seen or maybe to pick holes in my own eye test because sometimes your eyes will tell you what you want to see in terms of certain players. Mark, I want to go back to the subscriber thing just quickly because um, internet culture. So if you put something out publicly, uh, and particularly when it's about football, um, and you're proven wrong, and that can be um, with an article, with a, a podcast, with a, just a, a social media prediction, the internet loves to tell you you're wrong. Um, for you, when you're, when you're interacting with lots of subscribers and when you've got lots of people um, almost almost an ecosystem feeding off your own knowledge and your expertise and your experience of the game. What's it like when you have a a bad week versus, well, not versus, but what's it like when you have a bad week and those around you, you know, the guy that's, that's triple captain Sergio Aguero, for instance, what's it like to be on the receiving end of that mentally? 
Yeah, that's the the beauty of of being being a big personality on social media. You've got to you've got to take a lot of, of flack when things don't go your way. I think that's what I've noticed as well. You know, I've got a quite a big FPL Twitter account now, and and if I do something that may be slightly off the cuff compared to other people, and if it goes wrong, you know, when you log into your Twitter, there's going to be a lot of comments there for you to to read through, and you just have to hit that mute button as often as possible. But yeah, it's it's very. I think it goes. I think this goes for any fantasy manager, though. It's I think one of the most important things to be a successful fantasy manager is is how you deal with those bad game weeks because we all have them. Even the people who who win FPL, you know, season upon season, they'll always have three or four bad game weeks during a season. But it's very important how you how you deal with that. Um, you know, it's about focusing on the decision making process. You know, on a Friday, you know, you've got to rewind it back, and you know. Um, analyze your decisions before the game week happened rather than afterwards because we can all captain Aubameyang and he can go and miss a penalty on a Saturday that doesn't mean it was a bad captaincy decision whereas some people will beat themselves up about that but you've got to you've got to be disciplined and, and think back to you know the Friday when when you were making your decision before you knew anything that that was that was actually a, a, a logical captaincy decision but yeah it's definitely something I've learned to be better with over the last couple of seasons I, I actually had to train myself to you know, deal with the negativity better, whether it be just basically having a bad game with myself, or you know the flack that comes with with being on on social media nowadays. But um, you've just got to you've got to be you know make a laugh out of it. If you if if I score twenty four points in a game week, which is an absolutely dreadful score, I you won't see me disappearing off Twitter like you'll see a lot of other people. If that happens to them, you'll see me you know laughing and joking about unlocking achievement badges and stuff like that. But yeah, it's it's, it's very important. Um, it's very important how you know to deal well with a bad game. You can step away for a couple of days and come back fresh, rather than ripping up your team on a Monday or Tuesday and taking minus fours and minus eights. I used to play football manager in a sort of public way with uh, Ian McIntosh and the set pieces. So we'd, I, I first of all, I did a write up on on Bristol City. Uh, which was a very successful series the set pieces put out. And then we expanded that and did a Rangers versus Celtic thing, which was live streamed, which was a horrendous experience from from start to finish. Given that there is a... I mean, so I, I, I understand what you mean in terms of things going badly. I ended up getting sacked from Rangers um, because their, their squad was terrible. I maintain it was for those reasons. It's a bit weird doing something that people treat as a hobby but doing it professionally and doing it publicly and i found it quite a an odd thing to have to navigate in the fact that i was i was taking it seriously because i was doing it professionally and i was doing it for an audience but deep down in my mind i knew that it was what people do to relax and it, it you know it's not the real world and so on how do you straddle that because you know you're you are doing it professionally and you are doing it for an audience. And like you say, you know, if, if you, if you have a bad week, you have to step away from it. And, and I completely understand all of that, but it, there is still that slight oddity that it, it's not real football. You know, you're not, you're not managing an actual team or, uh, how, how do you deal with that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, it's the kind of thing you don't, you don't ever want to tell a, a real hardcore fantasy manager that it's not real football because it, it basically takes over our lives and, and we treat it like we are 
real football managers. And it's, it's interesting you mentioned your experience, your own experience of, of playing football manager there as well, because that's really where it all started for me as well. You know, I've, I've always played championship managers games, you know, since I was, you know, 12, 13 years old, even during the, the first few weeks of lockdown, a couple of months ago, I fired up an old championship manager 9900 game uh, and all the all those feelings came rushing back from, from 20 years ago. But yeah, in terms of, um, you know, Playing a, playing a, a fantasy game professionally, and I know it's when I sit back and, and just listen to what's coming out of my mouth, it does it does sound a bit strange. It's it's probably I, I can justify it now because it's at the end of the day, it's it's paying the bills for me at the end of the week. But like you say, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of people who play fantasy, it is a hobby for them, and it's you know it, it's their release on a, on a on a Saturday afternoon, you know, you know, forgetting about their week's work or whatever it is. Um, but for me, it is. I think it bring it really does bring its own challenges for people like myself who are content creators because, you know, going back to that thing, if I have a bad game week, I can't just decide on a Tuesday. You know what? I'm not going to record my podcast this week, or I'm not going to going to write my article. You know, you've got to take the good with the bad, and I've got to turn up week after week, no matter what happens. I suppose the good thing you mentioned, you know, your football manager there as well, and getting sacked. That that's that's one of the beauties of being a fantasy manager. No matter how bad you do, you can never get sacked. <laughs> But the the thing I, I, I yes that is obviously a huge benefit, um, and and you don't get hounded by the uh, the questions in the press and so <laughs> like you do in Football Manager. But how how odd is it to do some? I mean, I assume when you started playing fantasy, you started it for the same reasons that most people do it, which is that it's a nice way to stay in touch with football, that it's kind of relaxing, that it's a, an entertaining way of testing your knowledge. But then at some point you transition. And I wonder, like football, I ended up hating Football Manager when I did that stuff because it became a bit too much. Um, have you ever felt with with FPL almost like you wish you didn't have to show up? That That, you know, or have you... Have you found a way of taking pleasure in it, which is different to the pleasure that you took in it when you first started? I've definitely had my my moments, uh, and I've been doing a lot of reflecting over the last couple of weeks as well about how much how much time I invest in the game, and also how emotionally invested I get in it as well. And I'm going to take some drastic measures next season, um, just to, just to scale back, you know, less time on Twitter and stuff like that, and, and switching off at the weekends, you know, doing the match of the, the day challenge on a Saturday night rather than sitting. You know, checking the scores every five minutes between three o'clock and five o'clock on a Saturday. My my main issue is, you know, I spend Monday to Friday talking about FPL. So when it comes to the, you know, the games kicking off on a Saturday, quite often, you know, I'm pretty drained, and and I sometimes I just want to switch off from it. So that's why I find I record the games most of the time at the weekend, and when I'm feeling a bit fresher, then you know, on a Monday or Tuesday, I'll go back and watch them because it does, it does become too much. You know, I'll be the first to admit I am a, you know, I'm a fantasy football addict. Um. You know, it's on my mind. You know, seven days a week. There's no, there's no getting away from it. So it, it becomes a case of how do I manage that then? Uh, and because I work in FPL, it's very hard for me because I'm so heavily invested. But I've got to try and take a few steps now going into this season to, to step back a little bit and just be that little bit less engaged. Because if I don't, it will result in me having a bad season. Because that's what happened, uh, two seasons ago, uh, which was my first full time. You know, working in FPL season, and I, and I had my worst ever season in in twelve or thirteen years, and that was no coincidence. It was just too much. You know, you end up overthinking things too much. I remember being at a, a dinner party, and and someone asked me what I did for work, and I I had to try and explain that I basically 
watched football and then wrote scripts off the back of it to explain how teams played the way they did and uh, used analytics and stuff like that. And this person genuinely couldn't understand why anybody would pay for that. And I have to say it was it was slightly tricky to explain it. Do you find yourself in a similar kind of position when, you know, because you're treating it very much like a nine to five job and, and, and it is a nine to five job for you now. Do you find it a difficult thing to explain? Do you find people are kind of incredulous that this is how you now earn a living? 100%. I, I, I dread going to dinner parties now because I know I'm going to get that question <laughs> of, of what do you do? You know, I moved into a new house this week, um, you know, met a couple of the neighbours just, you know, out the front dinner. You, know, you just chit chat, you know, you mention your name, they ask you what you do. And I've probably told, you know, I've probably spoke to four neighbours and I've probably explained it differently four times because I never really you know know how to tell people what i actually do it's it's usually you know are you a football fan have you heard of fantasy football well you know basically i help people around the world to, to manage their fantasy football teams and most of the time they just look at you with a with a funny funny look as if is this is this guy for real but yeah it definitely is tricky to explain but it's also you know i'm very very lucky to do what i do there's you know fantasy fantasy sports in the uk you know it's well behind the us in terms of how big it is so there's you could I could probably count on you know two hands how many people are you know working full time in, in fantasy Premier League in the UK. So I'm one of the very lucky ones, and you know I, I do you know I remind myself of that all the time that I'm in a very privileged position, and and hopefully it can it continue um, for the foreseeable future. Mark, I'm going to ask you a personal question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. But does it does it ever put a strain on your relationship? You mentioned your wife earlier, um, yeah. and it's like a lot of industries. It has its kind of cycles it's ups and downs is it um is it every tricky for you guys it definitely has done in the past um and i've, I've spoken to other people about this as well it's you know a good example is, is that mad period on a, on a saturday afternoon from three o'clock to five o'clock when you've got maybe five or six games you know that that period for a fantasy manager it's a roller coaster there's a lot of ups and downs and if it doesn't go your way you know come five o'clock if you're on social media and you're looking at everyone who scored 60 or 70 points and if you're sitting there with you know 35 points, it obviously it gets you down. But again, it's you've got to try and nip it in the bud and, and remember that's the moment where you have to remind yourself this is a game. And if this starts to affect my you know personal relationships or my mood around the house, you've got to act and you've got to step back. So I I will admit you know maybe going back three four years ago, it, I would have let it affect me way too much, and I would have been you know maybe you know moody for an hour or two after that period on a Saturday. But now I'm much better, and I think it's it's a lot easier for me now when it's you know become a job of I'm much more laid back about the game as well, just you know being more experienced because I, I learned as well if you're someone who does take it too serious and, and you do you know let it affect your mood and stuff, you'll make bad decisions. You know you've got to have a clear head to be you know a, a good fantasy manager. So yeah, it's it's a I've kind of had to train myself to be to deal with that kind of stuff, and and that's why I enjoy you know, doing the match of the day challenge as much as possible on a Saturday. So switch my phone off on a Saturday morning, avoid all the games, go out with my wife, you know, have a nice day, whatever we're up to, and then just crack open a beer at half past 10, you know, not knowing what's happened during the day in terms of fantasy. Yeah, it's fascinating because it's the bit of the, um, I suppose, a bit of the job description that no one ever considers, the kind of the mental aspect of it. Um, we will take a very, very short break and then we're going to come back and talk about Mark's processes and how he picks teams.
I'm here to talk to you about something very important today, and that's below-the-belt grooming. Now, Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming, offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and Manscaped has just launched in the UK. Now, over here in the in the dark ages, we've gone years without using the right tools for the job, so you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products, and that's life-changing in a good way, gang. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we have a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. You can get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Feel the breeze. That's not one of Manscaped's taglines. I just threw that in there. I've got some others that you might like too. Be free. Um, How about... Cut down the rainforest. That's not, that's anti-environmentalist. We don't want that. Um, There, you know, Manscapes is just happy shaving, which is great. But I like, be free. Yeah. Maybe if if the Manscaped people are listening, maybe, I don't know, you want to, you want to take that one, discuss it at one of your marketing. Be free. Manscaped.com. Okay, Mark, so this is the time of the year when um, people are all over the country are looking at blank screens with 15 blank spots and £100 million to spend on filling them. What's the very first thing that you do every year? Yeah, that's the most, um, that's the most beautiful sight you'll ever see <laughs> in, in any calendar year is when that website opens and you, you, don't, you haven't picked any players yet, but you've got your £100 million to spend. You've got your blank canvas, no matter what happened to you last season. You know, you're, you're back at the same rank as everyone else in game week one. So first thing I do will be, usually I'll, I'll just auto-pick so I can get in quickly. I want to, first of all, before I pick any players, I want to see the prices. So I'll, I'll probably go through all 20 teams, you know, quite slowly, looking at, you know, which players have changed price, which players have changed position. And then once I've kind of assessed the prices, then I'll maybe start building a team. Um, and I probably begin with probably the premium players. So, you know, which two or three 10 million plus players am I going to have and then you know I'm going to probably look at players I think are good value in certain positions and then it's a matter of just filling in the gaps in your last three or four positions but this season was quite different because we had the game launched before we had fixtures which has never happened before but it was kind of it was it was good because you got to assess every single team and every single player you know based on, on pure merit without fixtures influencing any of your thoughts so that that was very interesting but yeah that's that's basically how I start um, in the first couple of weeks do you have any um do you have any golden rules that you observe year in year out yeah there's probably a few uh, in terms of my style of play so I'm very very patient you will very rarely see me make a transfer that is not on a Friday night or a Saturday morning I'm a manager who just likes to have all the available information before making a decision even if that means I have a lower team value than other managers who are more aggressive I avoid point sets as much as possible so I never like giving up you know it's hard enough to get points in fantasy so I don't like giving away four or eight or 12 as some people will go that far I'm very reluctant to take hits and the way the way I avoid them is is just to manage my squad efficiently throughout the season so I'm always focusing on my weak links you know not ignoring you know small fires um 
I think last season I only took four point sets, which would be a total of minus 16, which is very, very small. Just just to clarify for, for people that don't play the official game, a point set is, um, am I right in thinking, it's when you go over your allotted number of free transfers for the sake of importing you know, a, a different player in above your, um, above your allowed amount. That's correct, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. So you get, yeah, you get one free transfer every week, which doesn't cost you anything. Anything more you do will, will cost you a minus four point set. One of the other things I've always always wondered about, are, are you one of those people that, um, obviously, depending on how a player performs throughout a year, um, his value rises and falls. Is there a kind of um, a little bit of a cottage industry in the game of people that try and trade in that sort of weird little micro way to make sure that at the beginning of the season, they're identifying players who they think will rise in value. And then maybe three months down the line, they're trading them away to, to kind of essentially make a profit on them. Is that, is that something? Because it was something I was wondering about when I was picking my own team last week. Yeah, definitely. Is. There's a lot of people who will effectively play a game within the game. So they will play the market. So the idea there would be, especially in the first maybe four to eight game weeks of the season, that's when we get the most volatility in the, in the market. You know, you've got a lot of active managers driving prices up and driving prices down. So you, you'll get a lot of managers who will make their transfers based on what is happening in the transfer market. If a if a player, for example, scores a brace on a Saturday, he will rise in price most likely that night and possibly again before the following weekend. So you'll have managers who will buy that player, even if they're not overly keen on him, You know, maybe if, even if he doesn't have great fixtures coming up, but they know they're going to make a few bob on him. And what that does, if you fast forward then to the second half of the season, if you compare someone like me, who's very patient and doesn't play the market with someone who's very aggressive and does make early transfers, for example, if we're playing our second wildcard, let's say in around game week 30, I might have 103 million to spend, whereas they might have you know, 107, 108. So it does make a difference in the long term. And again, some people like to do it. Some people don't. It just depends on the style of manager you are. We've got a video coming out tomorrow on the channel, um, which Mark um, was hugely useful in, in putting together um, in which we talked about uh, what well, one of the themes is the differences between a conservative and an aggressive player can you characterize a few more of those like what, what are the traits of an aggressive fancy fancy football player yeah so if I think of an aggressive manager they're probably someone who who looks at things like ownership percentage more so than I do I try to ignore ownership as much as possible because I don't want it to influence my thoughts I don't want to buy a player just because you know, 60% of the game have that player. I don't want to be afraid of that. You know, I'd rather just pick the player based on how many points I think he's going to get over the coming weeks. A more aggressive manager will probably play the game and look for those opportunities of a player, let's say, you know, people like Anthony Martial and, and Youngman Son would be good examples over the last couple of seasons where they're very explosive players, but they're they're not very reliable long term. It's very hard to pinpoint when they're going to get their big their big scores, and for that reason, they're often owned maybe only by five to ten percent of the game. So the more aggressive managers will be more willing to maybe get those guys in and maybe give them the armband, whereas most people won't even consider bringing them in because they prefer the kind of steady eddy guys to kind of perform you know five to six points over thirty eight game weeks rather than you know fifteen two 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 fifteen over the course of five weeks. So yeah, that's that's another thing that those aggressive guys would do. Yeah, because we were, one of the things we were talking about was um, uh, Magnus Carlsen's um, brief time at the top of the fantasy, the FPL leaderboard. And um, I dug into, um, you know, some of the discussion around his picks and he, at some point, I forget the date, it's, it's on the video and I'll be out tomorrow if you're listening on Tuesday. Um, there was a point in the season where he, um, he traded away a 
very informed Mohamed Salah and replaced him for uh, for Son Heung-min, who you know had just played in a Tottenham side that had lost at Leicester. And it became it was it's something like a sort of a fifty entry Reddit page. It's extraordinary the kind of the amount of reaction that kind of thing generates. Is that is that another difficult thing? Do you presumably you must have? I mean, you got a very large Twitter account. Um, you get a lot, a, lot, a lot of subscribers. You're very visible. Um, when you make changes in your team and they're visible, do you have to put up with that kind of thing? Sort of, you know, oh, you know, look what uh, FPL General's doing this week. He's, um, you know, he's uh, he's brought in Lewis Cook and you know, etc. Is that is that uh, is that strange to kind of? I suppose it's. You know, do you remember? Um, do you remember that scene in um, Casino when they're talking about Athrostein right at the beginning and how when he's betting on, um, I think he's betting on American football games, and he sort of the the, the, the people that he associates with um, sort of see him as being so influential that when he places the bet, it actually moves the line, um, the betting line. Is this? It, there must be a kind of an FPL equivalent when someone like you does something, and all of a sudden you know, 10,000 people copy you. Is that, does that happen? Is that quite strange when it does as well? It it, it can happen. And it, it probably doesn't happen as much anymore because I I got to the point where I stopped sharing my team on Twitter, at least before the deadline, because my issue there is if, if I've got over 100,000 Twitter followers and if I post my team before the deadline every week, you're going to have a percentage of those people who will just do the exact same thing. You know, they'll, they'll make the same transfers as you and they will pick the same captain. So to avoid that, I, I've just stopped doing it. But I do remember in the early days, it, it would happen. And I see it with other large accounts who do share their team before before the deadline and they make it visible. And it does it does create a, a bandwagon effect. And, and I even see it myself. You know, it's, it's echo chamber. So, you know, Twitter's an echo chamber. I've got a small Slack channel with maybe two or 300 people. Um... But even if if I share my team in there before the deadline, a lot of people will row in behind me and get the same player. As as much as you wouldn't like people to follow you as much, I think that's a you know human beings. It's a natural thing to do. If someone's a successful manager, and you see what he's doing, you know a lot of them are inclined to follow. I guess it's probably they feel safer doing that than, than making their own choices. Yeah, that'd be really frustrating. Yeah. Anyway, I bet people didn't think I could get Casino into this podcast. Um, <laughs> we're going to have another little break. Uh, afterwards, um, Alex is going to reveal his fancy Premier League team. Um, and Mark's going to rip it apart. And we're going to have a good old giggle about that. Hey, Seb, did you know that Harry's sponsors the TIFO Football Podcast? I do now. And Alex, did you know that as a listener of ours, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. pence. I have a beard, though. Yeah. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and a travel blade cover, simply by going to harrys.com forward slash TIFO right now. That's harrys.com forward slash TIFO. Okay, Alex, moment of truth. Uh, full disclosure, you, uh, you are not an habitual fantasy Premier League player. You, I don't think, have ever played FPL, um, and you took some persuading to do this. So, um, with your asterisks and uh, and caveats, can we can we have your team? And Mark, please be absolutely brutal, be absolutely savage with him on behalf of all the listeners, please. Don't worry, I will be. <laughs> okay. Um, so in goal, I have uh, my my starting goalkeeper. I've gone for Burnt Leno. Um, and my backup goalkeeper is Alex McCarthy. 
uh, my reasons for this are looking at post shot XG plus or minus per 90 <laughs> for last season. Um, here we go. Yeah, <laughs> here we go. Um, uh, don't worry. Some of them are way more gut than that. Okay. Um, they both perform pretty well. I have, uh, as listeners will know from uh, uh, the last podcast, got, got a good feeling about Southampton's defensive unit this season, um, which is why I quite like McCarthy. Leno, I think there's confidence in him um, because despite uh, how well Emmy Martinez played um, towards the end of last season, uh, Arsenal are apparently offering him about, which means that Leno will be the starting goalkeeper. And that's obviously something that Arteta um, is is basing on on performance. I also think Arsenal's defensive structure will be more solid with William Saliba coming in. And so I have good confidence in both of my goalkeepers. Um, Mark's now going to tell me why that is misplaced. I can't really, I can't really fault you, unfortunately, in this position. What I would say is McCarthy. McCarthy is very popular going into the new season. Southampton have got a good start, so I'd like him at four point five million. But what I, my criticism here would be, you've you've probably spent too much on on two goalkeepers. You probably don't need two goalkeepers. Um, so I, I would probably back McCarthy there at four point five. If you replace Leno. It, it, with a four million non-playing goalkeeper, then you've got a million quid extra for the rest of your squad. Alex has made unsensible transfers. Then to be fair with his goalkeeper, shocking. Right, Absolutely off you go. Shocking. Let's have let's have the back four, please. Um, right. So the back four. Well, actually, four it's a five, back, isn't it? It's a back five currently because, um, I mean, it's a starting back five because the the two Manchester teams don't have fixtures in the first game week, but we'll come to that in due course. So I've gone for Bednarak and Salasu um, for, for, from Southampton for very similar reasons to McCarthy. Um, I think Salasu has the opportunity to score goals. Uh, I think with Ward-Prowse's set-piece delivery, uh, Southampton could be good from corners. Bednarak seemed like quite a high scorer for quite a low cost and will probably get the nod over Stevens, I would suggest. Uh, John Joe Kenny from Everton I've picked um, on the basis that he was probably the only good player that Schalke had last season. Um, I can see him coming into that Everton side and doing well. He also didn't cost very much. Uh, And then I've gone for two absolute defaults, um, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson, (laughs) on the basis that I had quite a lot of money and... You know, Klopp's Liverpool are not going to change their style particularly. They've not yet recruited a midfielder. That means the creativity is going to come centrally. They're still going to use the fullbacks for that a lot. And they seem like pretty consistent bankers for lots and lots of points that can can remain so throughout the season. Mark, all yours. I, although, although I will say, Alex, did you, did I love the... four defenders or five there? He went five. I, I love the kind of, yeah, I had a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> I bought Alexander-Arnold and Robertson. Where did he go wrong, Mark? So Bednarek, Salisu, Kenny, TAA. Who was the fifth one? Robertson. Ah, right, perfect. Right, Robertson and TAA are, are perfect. I can't fault those. Both of those are in my latest draft and most likely to stay there. But this is the part where I do get to rip your team apart already. <laughs> Thank you. If you if you sent me a picture of this draft, 
without even seeing the midfielders or the forwards, my first question to you would be, are you a Southampton fan? Because <laughs> having, having three of them is, is, to me is overkill. I mean, yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> the problem, I think, and you mentioned it yourself as well, I think one of, the, one of the golden rules in FPL for me is, especially in the first game week, you've got to pick players that are 100% going to play. Do we know Bednarak and Salisu are going to start the first game? There's probably some question marks there. There's probably three players there looking at two spots. You mentioned Stevens as well. John Joe Kenny could probably say the same. You know, Seamus Coleman is still kicking about there. Will Kenny come in from the start? We can't say that is 100% either. So I like TAA and Robertson, but I don't like the other three at all. At all? Gosh. Well, so your your your, your fancy football week is, is kind of ruined if Southampton ever concede a goal, Alex, which is a, a really bold position, I feel. Sure. I have a lot of confidence in Ralph Hassenhutl's chaotic counterpress. Okay, just making sure what, we're on the same what page. What can I say? Okay, into midfield we go. Try and redeem yourself now. <laughs> <laughs> so midfield, that's that's five of them as well. Um, again, I've gone for two bankers uh, in Kevin De Bruyne and Riyad Mahrez. Now, obviously, there's a problem there because in the first game week, City aren't playing, but I assume we'll catch up at some point. Um, De Bruyne and Mahrez again. I think De Bruyne is a default. Mahrez. I can see, particularly with the departure of Leroy Sané, Mares getting lots and lots of game time. Um, statistically, they're both outstanding players. I can't see a good reason not to have both of them. Um, I've gone for Dwight McNeil um, because I really like him. I think that Burnley are shifting to a more attacking style of play. He was surprisingly inexpensive. Um and given the way he plays and the strikers that Burnley have, I can see him getting quite a few assists, possibly even getting forward and scoring a bit. Then my other two picks. So I've gone for Eberich Yetze, um, which obviously is a conflict of interest because their first game is at Southampton. But I, I just have a good feeling about him coming into the Premier League, I think. Palace will be using him a lot to attack. He's obviously, you know, he's a relatively big money signing for them, even though he's actually, I think, quite good value uh, in real terms. And I can see them becoming slightly more attacking with him on board, uh, taking some of the weight off Zaha. And my last choice is uh, Kevin McAllister of Brighton. Now, he was very, very cheap and barely played last season. Do you, do you mean I'm, Alexis McAllister? Sorry, I mean Alexis McAllister. Kevin McAllister's from Home Alone, Alex. <laughs> no, no, Kevin Kevin McAllister is Alexis McAllister's brother who plays as a defender in Argentina. No, he's in Home Alone. <laughs> Trust, no, there is no. I know, I'm, I know. Sorry, Alexis okay. McAllister. Spelt with a, it's it, spelt strangely. It's got a little gap in between the Mac and the Alister, which I always find it a little has bit indeed. disconcerting. But yeah. Um, yeah, now the reason I've picked him is that I know Brighton made a significant effort to get him recalled um, from the loan that he was on. They obviously really like him. I think that, um, that that team is going to have a slightly younger feel to it this season, um, possibly with Ben White coming in as well on a big contract. I can see McAllister being a good attacking midfield option at Brighton in a in a nicely well coached side. Um 
under Potter. So he's kind of a gamble, yes, um, and he won't get any points in the first week, but as a sort of fill-in for not an awful lot of money, he's someone that I quite like. I'm going to be trying to be as nice as possible here. <laughs> you, de- you definitely don't you're definitely need a to first, be. Uh, definitely a first-time fantasy manager with some of these picks. Because, I mean, last couple of weeks on Twitter, I've seen hundreds of teams. I don't think I've seen McAllister or McNeil in any of them. But that's not to say... That's not to say... Maybe you're the guy with the knowledge that we need to be listening to. The I'll start, I'll start with the Man City guys. It is a bit of a headache this season that they don't play in the first game. I think it's probably better to have... If you're going to have a Manchester United or a Manchester City midfielder, it's probably best to have just one in the first week to get zero points because you're going to be struggling to field 11 players if you have two of them. You could always start with one. Let's say you have KDB on your bench and then work Mahrez in later. So I probably would take out one of those guys. Uh, McNeil, I never feel great about Burnley attackers when it comes to FPL. They've always been great value. You know, the goalkeeper and their defenders. Chris Wood has been quite good as well. But again, McNeil is a very good player, but that doesn't always translate into FPL points. The easy guy at Crystal Palace, he could be very interesting. I think he's coming at six million. I think it's always, it's good to have one or two punts in your team at the start. I think he's he's probably perfect for that. He's an unknown quantity in the Premier League. Not many people will have him. And if he hits the ground running, you, you'll, you'll be laughing. So he's probably the only, but him and KDB are probably the only two that I would keep there. Before we get to Alex's forward line, Mark, um, do you have a favourite punt from your own um, FPL history? Uh, punt, yeah, probably probably my, my, my favourite ever. I think I, I've talked to you before about Theo Walcott in the final day, but another one has just come to mind here, and it's it's more for this time of the season. I remember when Amarzaki joined the Wigan. Oh my goodness, yeah, yeah. I, this was before I was a serious fantasy manager. It was probably one of my first, first seasons. I remember having him for the first couple of weeks, and I definitely captained him either the first week or the second week when he scored a hat-trick. I think he scored nine or ten goals in the first maybe ten games and and didn't score for a long time after that. Ever again, possibly. Exactly. (laughs) He he probably still hasn't scored since. Probably not, no. (laughs) But he was was one of my favourite ever Game Week 1 picks. Were you, um, when you made that pick, were you, I know you weren't doing what you are now, but were you approaching it from a, a kind of a more professional perspective or were you just still playing as a, as like, as I would? Yeah, I was more of I was more of a casual fan back then, you know, playing playing against mates in many leagues. But I very clearly remember looking up his his stats from his previous clubs. I think he was at Zamalek. Yes, it stands out. Yes. I remember his goal record was was insane, and that's that's what I went off. If the name Amizaki doesn't ring a bell with you, um, have a look at his goal at Anfield for Wigan. Absolutely absurd. Says a volley. Wonderful. Uh, got me. Yeah, uh, got me four points for that. <laughs> is that on? Is that the way you? When 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 you when when you think back on seasons past, Mark, is that how you is that how you bookmark the events of the game, or more so uh, than than you know with the kind of the the more anecdotal things like uh, a great goal? Is it the kind of yes, well that was a that was a fifty six point weekend for me? Yeah, or- do you know what it, it is? You know, one of my favorite shows is, is Premier League years, and I, and I always go back and watch some of them uh, during the off season. So I've, I've been doing it recently. And what I find is, I was watching one the other day and it was it was Dimitri Payet and, and, and he banged in a free kick and I just say, I remember he got me 12 points that week. You know, that's, <laughs> that's kind of the way I remember games now. Yeah, that must be really strange. Alex, um, your forwards, please. Yes. Okay, so I have got 
This is your only hope. <laughs> Chipped away at his confidence. <laughs> you're you're so cruel. He will such never a play again. This, this is our one chance to bring him into the uh, no. It's the public it's domain because I've got unlimited transfers until whenever I've got them until exactly. and, yeah. and so to get he's going to be up until six o'clock tomorrow so, morning doing so this now is getting ripped apart very very helpful yeah. because afterwards Mark's going to tell me what I should be doing better um, right front line I've got Dominic Calvert-Lewin um, because I think the the James Rodriguez move is going to happen um, I can see Calvert-Lewin who's a player I really really like anyway um, scoring quite a few goals this season with greater creativity and a bit more of a pattern uh, behind him. Uh, Roberto Firmino, um, partly so I can keep practicing how to pronounce his name because I always get it wrong. Uh, he just, you know, he he seems like a pretty decent banker. Um, he did well last season. He's going to start. He's going to play lots of games. Uh, and then Raul Jimenez, who I think is probably the best striker outside of the big six clubs um very much the focal point for wolves attack uh gets assists as well as goals uh and yeah just just seems like a sensible choice finally got a decent part of your squad so you've saved yourself with the strikers Jimenez is one of my favorite FPL players I've had him you know the best part of the last two years and he's just so so consistent uh, very good chance he will be in my Game Week 1 squad. Calvert-Lewin's an interesting one as well because I think he's getting overlooked by a lot of people from what I'm seeing on social media. People think back to the you know the post-lockdown period where he, where he didn't score much. Um, but I think it's very important you've got to draw a clean slate in a new season, give, give the guy a fresh chance. And like you say, those signings that are coming in, that should help the Everton strikers. Now, Firmino's an interesting one because you said, you said he did well last season. Now... As a fantasy manager, I would say he didn't do well last season. So that's where you get your football fan opinion and you get your fantasy manager opinion because as a, as a fantasy asset, he was very unreliable. I think he only scored one goal at Anfield. Was that the final final week of the season? Yeah. So he was very unreliable in terms of, of fantasy points and the likes of you know Mane, Salah and the Liverpool defenders were much more reliable. So... Firmino's a, another player. Uh, his ownership will be extremely low in game week one because of that. He's not really a favourite of, of FPL managers. A lot of people think he's he's too expensive, me included. So that's an interesting one. Again, on the flip side, if he starts the season really well, you're going to fly because very few people are going to have him. Mark, between now and we're, we're four days away from the start of the season and if it was in the middle of the season, you'd obviously be, be studying game footage. What are you doing between now and kickoff um, to refine your team, to make any, any last-minute decisions? What, what kind of processes are you going through? To be honest, I'm doing very little, and that's what I've been trying to tell people as well. You know, a lot of my subscribers and people on Twitter, they're very eager, you know, two, three weeks, you know, a month even before the season starts. They're, they're on the FPL website every day. They're chopping and changing, unlimited transfers. And by the time game week one comes, they've had every single player in their team at some point. And then they're inevitably frustrated when that player scores a hat-trick in the first weekend and they don't have them. So I think it's very important until maybe, you know, two or three days before kickoff, you know, where we are now, that's when you really start to knuckle down. Um, so previously, I wouldn't have been doing very much. I don't. I, I tend to ignore the pre-season friendlies almost completely. You know, take them with a pinch of salt. 
Um, when it comes to picking my game week one team this weekend, it's all about you know tried and trusted FPL players from previous seasons. You know teams with good fixtures. It's you know it's I give new players to the league and stuff like that, and the promoted teams time to settle in before you know invest in any of their players. And last question, because um, we've taken up far too much of your evening already. What was the? Um, do you remember the first season when you played fancy? It's very hard to pinpoint it. Um, I'll make it easier for you. Were you? Was it a? Did you play by um, mail or had the internet started? <laughs> that is, that's aged me quite considerably. My my first ever fantasy memory, and, and this only came back to me recently when I really sat down to, th- to think about it. The last time my beloved Republic of Ireland were in the World Cup was two thousand and two. I was I was eleven years old. Um, and my uncles have, have a bar back in Ireland um, and they ran it. Basically, it was a fantasy competition. You had to pick, you had 100 million, you had a A4 sheets of players and you had to pick five midfielders and five forwards from the World Cup tournament. And the only two players I remember having are, I think it was Michael Balak and Rocky Santa Cruz. Mm. And I remember waking up at 6 a.m. to watch Paraguay. <laughs> <laughs> just because Rocky Santa Cruz was on, I had picked him in that game. So yeah, that was my first memory as an 11 year old 2002 World Cup. It was always struck me as quite strange is that, um, see my, my only memories go back a bit further in that um, I remember you used to have to, um, for certain games, you used to have to get the pull out from the paper and I'd ask my mum to do it, to bring back, um, it was from like the Times or the Telegraph or whatever, whatever paper she could find at work. And then you'd actually have to, you get a big sheet of, um, you get a big list of paper, uh, players, each with their own individual code, and you'd have to enter them and then mail your form in. Um, and the, the game's popularity was strange because um, for most people, that was the last you ever saw of your team because you you couldn't you couldn't log in to the to to any kind of system and check on your points tally. Um, you could make transfers, but the um, the process was incredibly convoluted, uh, and. Yes, they would occasionally publish like, like a top hundred managers in the in the in the country in the paper, but you kind of you sort of got disenfranchised your team from your team um, until the next season came around, and you know, and also don't forget, like unless you photocopied your your form, you kind of forgot who was in your team as well. <laughs> by, by by about November, you could you, you can even remember sort of half of your players. You'd always pick sort of Andy Hinchcliffe and Matt Letizier, but apart from that, there wasn't really. Um, there wasn't really, um, you know, there, there wasn't really a way of tracking it. So it's kind of, it's interesting to find so many people, um, I'm 36 now, so many people of my age whose interest has sort of, um, has has survived those years. But for you, Mark, what, what do you think is the next evolution to the game? What do you think will, I mean, if we're, if we're sitting having this conversation in maybe 10 or 20 years time, um, goodness, if we're, if we're still working for TIFO in 20 years time, Alex, um, what what will be different about it? What I would love to see happen with, with fantasy in the UK, you know, next five, ten to twenty years is, you know, you switch on you switch on the uh, the television at the weekend, and, and they're not just analysing the game from a football perspective. You you have you know proper fantasy football programs like you have in the US, and um, for, for the various sports over there, you know, you've got you know fantasy analysts on you know match of the day, giving their giving their opinion from a fantasy perspective as well. And you know, for someone like me who's working in this industry, that's my big hope that that, that does happen. And and I wouldn't be surprised if it did. I think 
fantasy is only going to go in one direction. Um, in terms of the game itself, again, I think it's very hard to predict, you know, how it's going to change because if you think back to, like you say, you know, printing things out, pulling things out of a newspaper and send them, send them off in the post and how far we've come in, you know, a relatively short space of time, who knows what it's going to be like in the future. So I've just got one last question, Mark, um, and, you know, be as circumspect as you like. I'm obviously going to go away and pull this team apart now, uh, <laughs> dropping Leno, dropping Mares, dropping... Dropping I'm, not dropping, Mc- I'm <laughs> not dropping McNeil, mate. Whatever happens, I'm sticking with McNeil. Um, if you were to give me one tip to go away and redraw this team with, what would that tip be? Do you want a kind of a strategy tip or more in terms of individual player tips? A strategy tip. Yeah, what I would say is I would probably distribute your cash differently from what you've got there. So I would probably put a lot more cash in the midfield. Uh, I think there's lots of big options, the likes of your, you know, your Salas, your Aubameyangs, uh, you know, your Bruno Fernandes. Obviously, he doesn't play the first game week, but I would probably pump a lot more cash in the midfield, maybe a little bit less up front. And, and again, I think defensively you're okay in terms of, of how much you've spent there. Take the million away from Leno uh, and put that into midfield. So I think that's the main thing in terms of structure. I shall send you what I've. Uh, I shall send you what I've done. <laughs> you won't <laughs> be able to get I've rid of him it. now, Mark. He's yours for the season. He'll he'll be he'll be no he'll be no naked. no just just the one thing. <laughs> then we'll see how it goes. Mark, you um you thank you very very much for coming on. Um, you do a, a weekly column for for the Athletic, and uh, where can we find that? other than obviously on The Athletic. What day of the week does that publish? Usually towards the end of a week, usually on a Thursday or a Friday. There will be quite a few before the season kicks off. You can get my you know, 59th Minute podcast is available on The Athletic as well. There's a few of those already available for, for pre-season. And uh, on Twitter, you're uh, at FPL General, right? Yeah, that's the best place to find me. That's where, where I spend the majority of my time. Right, so stop following me and Alex for FPL, if you ever did, and uh, and get on that. And um, thank you very, very much, and, and best of luck for the season, Mark. Cheers, guys. It was a pleasure. Best of luck, um, Alex in particular. <laughs> <laughs>